You saying that's not based on fundamentals? But uh, really, <laughs> really free popcorn, man. You can get free popcorn. Who doesn't want free popcorn, right? Put your money where the movement is. It's the people that make the world go round. That make the world go round. Oh, is it the money? Hey, I'm Alexis. I'm community. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm Capital. So something like that. We are recording. Thumbs up. Here we are, man, from, from hotel room to hotel room. How are you? Yes. How's Miami? Oh, Miami is great. The, mm. the capital of capital. Uh, Missing South Florida right now. Seems to be holding up to its, uh, its recent moniker with many, uh, there, there are many people down here for the Bitcoin conference. So, uh, and, and a lot of people have actually, this is only anecdotal. So don't quote me. I'm not tweeting about Miami. Uh, but there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people down here at the very least this week. But it feels like a lot of people have moved or or are, are contemplating a move. Dude, you know, you know, I I've been telling you this. It's real. It's very real. Don't sleep on us in South Florida. And is there is there a Lambo energy? You've seen a lot more Lambos around than usual in the DMV. You know, I definitely see a lot more Lambos in between kind of main part of the city plus South Beach. Yep. Now, question I'm wondering is if it's crypto lambos or just miami lambos? <laughs> just miami lambos that's fair crypto have been a little rough that's true that's true it's probably not as exuberant a community as it might have been a few months ago but uh look this is i get excited about these times because that's just you you know that's the time to build because that's where people are not being you know silly about seeing their portfolios increase folks are like all right we got to deliver value here, right? We build more infrastructure, we build more tools, we get more engagement, we get more usage. That's gonna create value in the long term. So I I actually look forward to these times. They're like, I like saying like crypto is on sale. Look, if you believe something's <laughs> gonna be a lot higher than it is now in the future and it's trading at a discount for whatever reason. Buy all day long. Sure, right? I, I mean, if, if you truly believe, and that's where I, I do think a lot of people in crypto believe now, What's interesting, and I've had conversations about this while I've been here a little bit, I know it's the Bitcoin conference. There are a lot of people who actually believe in other crypto assets and tokens as well. But there are people who are starting to think maybe it's some of the other asset, other, other protocols or tokens that are actually really where the value may accrue. And I think yep. this actually gets into great tie into last week where we ended on the cliffhanger of so rare. <laughs> and I think we have to go back to that because I think the the most interesting thing amongst many things around the sports world with so rare is that we finally reached a point in crypto where people are transacting in fiat while using crypto rails mm -hmm. and they may not even know it. And that's the point where it feels like it's truly gone mainstream. Yeah. And that, and that is at the end of the day, great technology to create a great, sort of UI, UX, user interface, user experience. Like there is, I think, and as everyone listening should know, when we say fiat, we're just talking about like USD or euros or whatever, but like that's, right, that for for nearly all of us, uh, we have grown up with a default fiat mindset. Like it, it and, and so any adoption of crypto requires altering that default mindset, which is a really hard, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's a, that's not an easy thing to unwind. But 
technology can change behaviors if you can make that adoption as frictionless as possible. And so in this case, right, I can transact using my native currency, euros or USD, in order to get into this crypto world as seamlessly as possible, uh, right? I can basically buy into the so rare economy without having to, in the past, it would have been a number of steps to convert my fiat into Bitcoin and then my Bitcoin into another currency. And, and it would have been very shady, tons of sort of protocols and procedures and waiting and all this stuff. And, and now it's, it's way more efficient. And that's a big deal, dude, I think you're right. And, and I, I know it's all about Bitcoin energy right now, but I am, I mean, I, I hold Ethereum, I hold a, a, a sort of basket of others um, as well. And I think, I think Ethereum's time is, is really right now. Forget the NFT boom, that's cyclical. But I mean, there's some great, great technology being, being built here. I'm talking about decentralized finance or DeFi. Um, I mean, this is the stuff, dude. This is, this is what can actually transform a financial system. This is the new Wall Street. The, the new Wall yeah. Street has moved, has moved to decentralized systems, huh? Yeah, I, I, I very much, very much believe it. And, and do you feel like these are the conversations you're having? Are, are they credible to you as a finance guy? So I think there's a few signals that have that have hit me over the past few years. So one is really smart people from Wall Street and traditional world of finance moving over into crypto. So actually, my former boss from Goldman Sachs, he was investing into exchanges and clearing houses and Wait, is this the guy who retired no 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 the doge so guy was, that guy was a trader so that guy okay. that guy knew how to trade dogecoin he was really smart um so this guy so, so the backstory <laughs> of that is a few weeks ago uh dogecoin minted a new millionaire and it was goldman sachs md who was uh an emfx trader uh which is emerging markets thick uh, uh foreign exchange oh that's kind of appropriate he was a good trader, so he made money on Doge. And apparently, I, I don't know if that's why he retired, but that was what the story said. Now, there are a lot of people who, like my former boss, so he helped run the investing business at Goldman, investing Goldman's balance sheet into market infrastructure. So that's like the pipes and plumbing of what makes the 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 kind of capital markets work, right? So like market data businesses, like. Bloomberg, we didn't invest in Bloomberg, but something like that, or an exchange like NASDAQ or NYSE, right, where people, it's a venue where people can trade, trade stocks or other, uh, other forms of securities, and then clearing houses or custodians, things that are just making the markets move and go so that we as individuals or institutions can, can use that and participate in that, in that, in that world. And he's, he'd actually been in crypto for a little while. So he was, he was very much interested in the space kind of 2013, 2014, right? Now, I don't know how many people at Goldman were listening to him when he was saying that, but he was he was actually, he was pretty early. 2017, yeah. I believe, he decided to leave and join a company which was building an enterprise blockchain solution. So, but that to me was like signal one. Another signal was Asif Herji, who is CEO of TD Ameritrade, one of the biggest retail brokerages mm. and custodians. He joined Coinbase. Right. And he became the president of Coinbase. And and then Matt Hogan, who helped build the ETF industry, uh, built, built the largest publication focused on the ETF space called ETF.com. And ETFs actually 20 years ago was relatively unknown financial instrument. That's become a multi-trillion dollar uh, asset effectively. Right there. Are, people invest into ETFs all the time, whether it's BlackRock as the manufacturer mm. and 
individuals investing or institutions investing, and this is the way that they access they access equity markets uh, or, or other securities, right? So when people like that start leaving and going to crypto, Matt Hogan went to Bitwise, which is one of the biggest uh, crypto index funds. Um, Asif went to Coinbase. Uh, Tom now actually he runs Fidelity's digital assets business. So Fidelity, one of the biggest custodians in the world, trillions of dollars of assets that they that they manage. They have a custodian and now a, a Bitcoin fund as well, uh, enabling people to access Bitcoin that they manage and they custody. So that to me was like step one, like, okay, there's really senior financial services leaders deciding to go into crypto because they believe in this. And when you talk to you know, not just them, but people like that. I think they see one is there's certainly promise in some of the crypto assets, but two, it's the promise in the underlying technology, right? Yes. So it's yes. the, and and I don't know if you can decouple one from the other. Like part of the magic of crypto is you have the tokens themselves, and th there's an asset to invest in or trade that has a value that's somewhat related to the underlying protocol, but. You have people who can participate in various ways. You can be building the protocol, which builds the rails, or you can be investing and you financialize the crypto space in a sense, which actually makes it really interesting. And I think that like people, there are certain people on Wall Street who are like, you know what? Blockchain can revolutionize the way that we think about trading and streamline the process because there's a lot of inefficiency, cut out a lot of fat, cut out a lot of fees, is. which yes, is ultimately is. really good for the end consumer, which is the individual or the institution who's buying something on behalf of the individual, and then they can cut their fees. So I think a lot of people are really excited about the promise of that. And that's where I think, I don't know if Bitcoin will win. I know I'm at a Bitcoin conference, but or <laughs> Ethereum will win. I think there's value in both. Very sound money. Yeah, I, th I think they both have a place. Yeah. And maybe there's some other crypto asset that we don't even know about yet. For that sure. could build the best protocol and the best and, and the best token economics model, right? But I think the what's so fascinating about right now is you have like you, you actually have created a way where like people don't necessarily care whether somebody's using Microsoft uh, Azure or AWS as their as their cloud storage. Like if a company that they they work with, it could be an enterprise, it could be a consumer. We don't care what what servers you know Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, etc. It works well. Are using right? We yeah. just use it. And that's where I think a, a, a business like SoRare, I, I know they use the Ethereum blockchain. I don't really care as long as it's something that I can use and millions of people around the world, ultimately, who are football or soccer fans, can use to transact and play fantasy football and trade their favorite players and have fun doing it and make some money if they want to. You know, so obviously, I, disclosure, I'm an, I'm an investor. That's pretty public. But the reason SoRare was so compelling was... This wasn't just about taking IP, like intellectual property of, you know, a football player's name and likeness and their club and making something pretty about it. Now, now I do think a lot of exciting stuff coming out of Dabber Labs. Top Shot obviously got a lot of attention, partnership with the NBA, you know, beautiful highlight clips. Um, but the thing that got me, the, the, the areas where I look for real durability shouldn't surprise anyone, come back to community. And so it's like, where are the ways or what are the multiple ways that this stacks value beyond just it looks pretty and I feel a way about it? And, and so Server obviously checks those boxes as well. But by having a fantasy football element, you now have 
uh, a kind of stronger community tie because these are people who all play the same fantasy game against one another. And there's a culture that's built around that. There's, there's already all kinds of different sort of community builds sort of that are tangential to and complementary to so rare. And that's, that's powerful. And then you also just have the default kind of, I mean, engagement levels, let's say, slash addictiveness of games that creates another reason why there's more value. And then furthermore, these things actually have utility within those games because having that special Mbappe card gives you, you know, advantages in, in your competitive matches. And what's wild is, and this was the thing you'd brought up in the group chat, like companies like EA, Electronic Arts, make an obscene amount of money from essentially very one-dimensional versions of so rare cards because they're not transferable they're not saleable they're they they have no value outside of the ecosystem you're basically just giving them dollars or euros and never getting anything back from it uh, ever and that's not <laughs> sustainable in the face of something that actually has value like that ironically or maybe not ironically but in a very unique way is an end around to build a whole nother gaming world from this core atomic unit of the uh, of this this you know extra content and and it's funny how traditional gaming companies approach this in a very intelligent typical top-down way which was let's maximize the dollars we can extract from our fan base and everyone does this and they they've just gotten a little greedier and a little greedier and a little greedier but now the technology is here to say hey wait there's a better way and it's just fundamentally different because it's on the blockchain how much of the fact that on the blockchain and the properties of an nft and yes we can debate some nfts will work some won't but there are some properties that make nfts really interesting one is that it's non-fungible right it cannot be traded can like other assets if i if i give you a dollar and you give me a dollar back it's the same dollar it doesn't matter even if it's a, if it's a different dollar but if i give you a Killian mbappe card uh it's you will thank one. me if it's an NFT, <laughs> it's a one of one, right? Because nobody else can get that, uh, and you would owe me big time. Uh, I don't know how how it'd be paid back because you couldn't pay me back in that dollar. Just Priceless. Why is that so important when it comes to like the 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 non fungible aspect and the scarcity value and the fact that these NFT businesses can create scarcity value through minting these NFTs, right? Like they create that. Oh yeah. I'll use my favorite example. I've never really applied this take to it. Stop me if I did. I already rant about the Mona Lisa on this podcast about how it's totally overrated. I rant about it a lot. I'll give you the slightly different take on it to answer your question about the fungibility of it. It is verifiable that there is only one Mona Lisa and we know it exists in the Louvre. It is, we could debate its artistic merit, but what is undeniable is that every time a reproduction of the Mona Lisa is created on a t-shirt, on a billboard. Now, technically, you probably have to license that. But like, let's just say realistically, in a world where it's just everyone's making their own Mona Lisa, I've got a fourth grade presentation on art history, and I use an image of the Mona Lisa, I'm not paying for that, whatever. But because and, and there, but we all know instinctively, that is just increasing the value of the verifiable sort of non fungible one of one Mona Lisa. And if you think about the way that things like copyright have been used on the internet so far, it is a club to crush people who try to reproduce content. 
And that is, it's dumb for lots of reasons. It's, it's the antithesis of how human culture works, right? We're mimetic, we're mimetic creatures. I hear you tapping in an interesting beat. I'm going to do it too. And if I think this is good enough, I'm going to bring it back to my village and be like, Hey, look, I made a song and I'm going to make it a little better. And then someone else is going to hear it, make a little better. That's culture does not work the way that copyright works and copyright in many ways is, is looks kind of backwards compared to sort of how we are as humans. Having this and embracing this technology means we get all the upside of what technology provides in terms of infinite replication. We can make a million copies, put it on a million websites. It costs nothing because it's the internet. And, and the value of the original scarce, provable asset goes up because people are more aware of it now. And, and it's a wild thing to see because we, we didn't build these things in order. Right, we we are now trying to build Web three, which is taking all the lessons learned from the previous iterations of the internet and being like, okay, if we could build blank all over again with blockchain technology, how would it look? How would it work? And so we're kind of we're, we're if in an ideal situation we would have started the internet this way, but we we couldn't for lots of reasons. And now we get to reimagine all those previous things again, like the Charlie bit my finger video. I think so the I think an NFT of that sold for a few hundred thousand dollars recently. It was a million dollars. And right, that was a viral video from like Web Two, and the creator of it probably made a pittance, right? Didn't make anything from some bullshit Google ads, right? And and yet it had real cultural value because I can just tell you Charlie bit my finger, and if you're as old as we are, you you can immediately visualize and hear that kid, and and that has value. And now we are kind of going back and like, not quite retconning, but going back and being like, okay, well, let's, let's see how we can apply this technology now to, to sort of pass things. But going forward, it's going to be much, much more seamless. I have to take us a little bit further down this rabbit hole. Let's go. Because you bring up some really interesting points about creators. Now, I love counterfactuals. So imagine if things you're saying, Web3 started from the beginning. Maybe we couldn't have because there's a whole host of reasons why on the internet, but let's just say we could have. How would you reimagine the relationship between the creator and their fans? I'm trying to think of a, of a present example that is doing this, right? There's a handful of companies that are looking to be like the Shopify for creators. You know, the idea that if you wanna, you, know, you wanna mint some NFTs, the long-term play for a lot of creators is like owning, right? They, they have their domain or they have their website. They can do it, package it. I don't think we're ever going back to a world where creators will give away all of their value or most of their value to a platform. There will have to be either platforms that are built with proper economic alignment or the platforms will just exist on the back end and, and sort of be white labeled for the creators to actually use and run themselves. And, and I think we're starting to see that the shortest version of that story is creators getting compensated way better and way more, much more, uh, for their work and fans getting rewarded much better for their early investment, both literally and figuratively. It should solve the hipster problem of, I liked that band before they were cool. That is a cultural phenomenon that exists. Because people assign some weird pride, you can tell I'm not one of these people, in themselves for 
knowing about a band before everyone else did. And and aside from vanity, the other reason why they are they should be proud of that is like that actually has value. Being able to pick a stock before someone else has a value that you get rewarded for. Roaring Kitty, I'm sure, loves talking about how you know <laughs> he picked GameStop so early. I, you know, I'm not saying the the bragging will, will, would go away, but I'm saying that we'd be able to more honestly assess the value of of being a good selector and curator and and say investor in creators, and that's that's bound to happen, and and it's exciting because I think it's again it's rewarding creativity, it's rewarding taste that has been left out of the economic pie. But it's, it's got real value, and we're going to see just how much. Making me think of is that we can now financialize signal. Yeah. What I mean by that is yeah. there are people who are signals early on, mm-hmm. but they may not get rewarded for that monetarily. That could be the creator themselves. That could be the person who identifies that cultural trend or that mm. stock. And now mm. you can actually find a way to reward that signal and gosh, I bet at some point in time, you're going to have either funds or technologies that start to figure out how to find and identify what those signals are early on. And they're going to figure out how to monetize. Like there was Guaranteed. a there was a hedge fund at one point. I don't know how successful it was. I, I, it might have been a little bit before its time because they were trying to actually, they would hook into Twitter and they would try to find all the signals on different stocks, people talking about them on Twitter. Now, that would seem to be like the perfect thing to do right now on Twitter or Reddit, or if they could get into Discord groups, but as a way to understand what people are saying and what the sentiment is. Because there is such thing as sentiment analysis, right? Yeah. yeah. Imagine if, I wonder how an analysis of sentiment would actually work in a world where creators are able to get compensated right away. And maybe the sentiment is that they end up accruing the value earlier, right? The, the earliest believers in Bitcoin or Ethereum ended up accruing the most value. And the cool thing about it, it was not the institutions. It was individuals. No, so it was, it was individuals. really one of the first asset classes ever where individuals actually made that venture-like return, that mm. power law dynamics return of hundreds, not thousands of x on their multiple on their investment like that was individuals before institutions and that's where i just wonder if it actually something like nfts actually breaks down those barriers removes so many of the middlemen or rent-seeking platforms that just enables creators to go directly to their fans dude i think without a doubt it's coming oh yeah it's gotta come because right we've already seen it break through in the traditional markets and I just I feel like we have endless opportunities. I won't bring up AMC other than just right now. <laughs> We're seeing it break through in traditional markets. And it's not, again, it's not going away. It's not like I, I, I tweeted at Andrew because I'm like, dude, I was just on, I was on CNBC back in January telling you, like, don't be surprised. This is not going away. And so here he is acting surprised again. And I'm like, Andrew, come on, man. Like, you know better. This is the new reality. And if anything, more and more people are coming into this system now. More and more people are, you know, day trading from their smartphone. More and more people are joining Discord. More and more people are joining these platforms. And again, nothing is going to stop that. The only thing that can sort of alter it is just better platforms to do that work. So 
you know, I, I think it, it, it doesn't certainly, it never goes away. Companies just sort of get better at adapting and, and the new entrants appear that provide new alternatives and new ways, right? We're still like, it's wild, but like, we're, we still talk about these apps like Robinhood, you know, pub, public's actually a little bit more of a unique approach too, right? We're seeing this evolution now, but like every, let's just, I'll pick on Robinhood. They are, the innovation there was like a nice UI UX mobile experience and no fees. And that is not, that is a 1.5x improvement from the status quo. We make our money. I mean, and Robinhood's obviously still been a very good investment, but we make our money looking for the things that are the 10x better improvements where it's almost the software and the methodology and the product or the community makes such a difference that like, it's basically an intelligence test. Like no one would ever use the previous way because it was so demonstrably worse or inefficient or what have you. And so I look at what's happening in, in finance right now, the, even just the public markets, and I'm like, oh, this is still the bronze age of it. It's still the early days of these tools. And all those tools are still from a previous world that are now sort of being hacked. And I don't mean literally hacked, but being like creatively oh, used. Maybe too. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're being creatively used by a new world with ubiquitous social media, you know, smartphone technology everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I can buy some Doge on my Robinhood app, but that is the most basic way to think about what these platforms can do in a world where, like you said, signal and taste have tremendous value and it's coming from individuals now. It's been decentralized and sign me up for that ETF that is the maybe like the Wall Street bets ETF, you know, keep in mind, the actual community is getting rewarded for their picks, where there is some direct relationship, it's got to be built on the blockchain. Interesting you say that. So I think a, a lot of creations are often too early for their time. Like there was there was an internet bank that tried to be created in late 90s, early 2000s. There was, um, I think it was uh, Webvan was Instacart oh, yes, before in Instacart. the late 90s yep. before Instacart and it just didn't work and could be for a variety of reasons. But there's actually, there have been some social trading apps. So like Motif might've been a business before its time. So Motif Investing was an ETF. It was started by a super smart guy who, and raised a lot of money uh, actually, uh, but tried to create an, an ETF business where you or I could actually create our own ETF and then other people could follow our oh, ETF. Yeah. And then the creator of that ETF would actually make money on other people investing into their ETF. And now there's some slightly more successful perturbations of this in uh, copy trading. So eToro, which is a oh, yes. very big business, a tr it's a trading business. It's going public, uh, I believe by SPAC in, in, in a few months or so, uh, it's been announced. But they, um, they have a copy trade product where you're a great trader, Alexis, like, mm. I want to I want to follow you. Uh, it would probably be for GameStop or AMC. Uh, I have no idea how to trade that. <laughs> um, but uh, you can see it's 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 the community. And, and, and I there you go. Yeah, who, who better than to follow you saying that's not based on fundamentals. But uh, <laughs> really, really free popcorn, man, you can get free popcorn who doesn't want free popcorn, right? But like, I can follow you, you can, I, I could copy your traits. And like there are people, there's there's a guy on, on eToro, I think manages seventy five million dollars of quote unquote. It's not 
really his external capital or his hedge fund. But th there are models out there that have actually tried to do that. Now, I don't think anything has ever completely taken hold. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that happens. One in traditional markets, but in some ways, all these things you're talking about, mm -hmm. I'm almost more interested about what will happen in non-traditional markets. So markets where, where nobody yet has an edge, right? In traditional markets, I think hedge funds or even crypto hedge funds have an edge over individuals in many cases. But as we were talking about earlier, the tastemakers or those signals in more nascent markets like sports, which is why I think something like so rare is so intriguing is it could be somebody who's a really, really sharp football fan who knows who's played FIFA or one of the, you know, one of one of the football manager games. Oh yeah. Oh, the, the the people who obsess over the football manager games are next level. They can run whatever football related fund they want for me. But imagine people <laughs> then like they're going to do a way better job than I will and, and a way better job than many institutions would be because they've actually been in that ecosystem in that market. So it's those markets. It could be the so rares of the world. It could be sports cards. It could be other. It could be NFTs of you know true art, where people are experts because the mar the markets haven't been developed in such a way where you could have you know many people in them, or, or they're or they're very crowded markets at this point. So that that to me is like is hey, you're applying to those markets. That's fascinating. Man, I'm ready. I ETF 3.0 on the blockchain. Is that a thing? So there's going to be soccer NFT ETFs. Yes. There's going to be art NFT ETFs. One pushback on that, despite the fact that I'm I'm the capital guy here. So, and I do think that you need products like that to institutionalize. So that's my disclaimer. Sure. If you do that and start to create effectively what are diversified or bundled products, yes, mm -hmm. great to attract larger pools of capital, because as you grow in size and scale, that's the only way you can really allocate to those types of assets. But does that take anything away from some of these markets where part of the fun and magic of them is the ability to actually pick individual crypto assets, NFTs, uh, sports cards, that people really like, and it takes away some of that one artisanal element and two, the element of culture because it's being financialized, I'd say too much. There's a lot of energy historically why you're right, because we've always talked about the like capitalization this is that tension between like the capitalism of it and the art and culture and community element and always felt really exploitative and it was right it was selling out it was all those things that just felt wrong that is my initial reaction when i hear it but i realize i have that reaction because i'm a geriatric millennial and for a generation that will come up gen z with this technology because capital will be more properly aligned with the creators and the tastemakers, it will not be a default adversarial relationship. Like I actually think because these systems will exist, because the generation will just have a different perspective on what it means to make money doing this stuff, that it will feel more pure. And it will, or not more pure, it'll feel more okay. Is that because they're going to feel more connected to the creator? 
Is there something about NFTs that make people feel more connected to the creator? And and honestly, to some extent, in the in this case, like sports the intermediaries, a little bit kind of underwatch, right? The teams of the leagues, yeah, because the players can go directly to the fans. People were cutting out the middlemen. There's the only people who don't like that are middlemen, and and the general public wants. I mean, human beings want a direct connection. <laughs> So yeah, I think for exactly that reason, it's it feels a lot better, right? The I think historically people have been at odds with these ideas of capitalism. It's because they're really at odds with all the sort of grifters and all the bullshit and all the everything in the middle that captures value that shouldn't do it. This is a colossal shift. It's weird, but we're talking in a way about an intersection of pure capitalism or much not pure, but at least a much more efficient and direct capitalism right? Supply meeting demands way more efficiently, way less fat, way more like, you know, basically like OG capitalism. You're my neighbor. You own a bakery. You make nice bread. I want, I traded my cow for that bread. That'd be a terrible trade. I traded some milk for my cow for your bread. You're happy with my milk. I'm happy with your bread right? We throw in a little currency to make that a little bit more efficient, right? That is the the day zero OG of capitalism. And we get to go back to it now. Well, what's fascinating about what you're saying is as much as we love to get our bread and milk, uh, and as great of an experience as that may be, that may not be an experience that you can necessarily monetize beyond the monetary transaction. But there was an announcement this week, what Club Necaxa in Mexico. Oh, yes. See, they are going to sell a 1% stake in their team to the crowd, to their fans, using NFTs. Yeah. So how does this tie into bread and milk? There actually is a tie into bread and milk, which is your story about experience and that word of experience. Mm. NFTs that are able to create experiences tied to them, unique experience, because they're not, remember, they're non-fungible tokens. Yeah. But then if you can have an experience tied to that, Right, get to come early to the pitch. That becomes really valuable, right? So yeah. imagine if teams and or players, I mean, players could have their own NFTs and we're seeing that happen and they could tie experiences to that. That starts to get pretty cool, doesn't it? Very much so. And we've seen we've seen implementations of this with Fiat. You know, there were, um, I think, Represent, Prizio. There were these companies, and some of them are still around, that do like fundraisers for right you put you put a few dollars in you get a raffle ticket one person wins the chance to like have lunch with tom brady type thing and like you can see how it's a very effective way to sort of capture value and raise money but it's it's very one-dimensional because you know michael you win congrats you win schedule a date and it's done because of the nft that you could mint you really can say whoever is in possession of this gets to have that meeting. And you could win it, Michael, but then decide, you know what, I'm going to wait on this. I think it's going to be worth a lot more in five years and I'm going to sell it to someone then and, and, and appreciate the value from it uh, and never actually take advantage of the opportunity. But what's wild about this, and believe me, the group chat at Angel City FC was was talking about this because we're, we are going to do something in this space. We want to be thoughtful about it and really be building for, right, not just a quick cash grab, but really do stuff to support our fans and 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 give them even more of a connection to the club. And I love the fact that they just went for it. Now, I know I there was some pushback maybe from the league because they were like, hey, hold on, what's going here? But this has to be a part 
of the future of sports. Because again, it kind of goes back to the OGs. NFL fans will know about the Green Bay Packers and the historical like shares, which are kind of, they're not really real, but you know, Packers fans have a share. Many of them have, or enough of them have a share where they'll pass it down in their family. They're very prized and valuable. And it feels like a community homegrown element. And I'm sure someone could do some history on the history of sporting clubs in general and find a bunch of local people in a town pooling money together to afford the first jerseys or cleats or whatever, right? It is, again, such a throwback to the original way it would have been done when it wasn't very glamorous and and people really did feel a sense of ownership because they were like here you go and then they went and bought a football and then they saw them playing with it and they were like that makes me feel good like i i paid for that and i think giving people more of a sense of ownership i can't even think of exceptions with few exceptions is a good thing because it makes them care more it makes them invest more it makes them pay attention more it it, it it it's only a good thing and and again the fans already feel that way superliga for instance so it's either adapt because we have this technology that now makes it viable or get left behind monetizing engagement mm. that's real that is mind-blowing when it comes to sports right and then it creates a way for clubs to do things in a different way than mm-hmm. they might have done in the past. Mm-hmm. Not only stay relevant, but to your point, I think you make a really good point from a from a financial perspective. There's data that shows that when people own stock of something of a product or service that they consume as well. So, say I go to Starbucks, yeah, own Starbucks so. stock, I am significantly more likely to purchase more. Starbucks coffee or whatever else I want to buy at Starbucks. And also the number is 50% less likely to purchase from a competitor. (sighs) Love it. Love it. We are tribal creatures, my guy. And what's wild is we've also uh, deliberately or not, I'd argue more deliberately than not kept people from getting really engaged in this and thinking about this. And we've talked before about how financial literacy is just, absurdly low, right? This is a one TikTok video at a time. This is a generation that's going to think of themselves this way, because there's going to be some viral video explaining those facts. You should make this with like the catchy beat and like point to each of the factoids. Uh, no, no, no. That'd be uh, that, great. I, I'm going like, to get, get Lulu to make that. With a little dance. She, Lulu should do that. You're right. She would do a good job. Uh, Actually, we should totally do that. That's a good project for her. Okay. All right. Literally the intern. You got to make, you got to make a TikTok video about this. Cause that that's real. That's real, dude. She says she learned, she's learned finance to some extent from watching TikTok videos. Dude, she learned math from Minecraft. No joke. Fundamentals. I, and this is where I hope edu- I don't think education can evolve this quickly from the inside. And this is where I hope people are investing dollars and energy adapting to where the students are and where the learning is happening. Because if we get this right, we're preparing a whole generation that's, that's, that's never had more fluency in this world, or it could not possibly have more fluency in this world. And now we're arming them with the fundamentals for how to invest and and not only support great ideas or great creators or great whatever, but also make money doing it. This is cool. This is wild. Cause like our generation was not 
and, and previous generations were not really given much support <laughs> outside of maybe whatever we got on our own, but certainly not in schools. Well, how much does the organization that is creating community around it now have a responsibility to educate? So let's take what you just said and transpose that into Angel City, which is very much community driven, cares about the community. The mindset is how do we engage the community? Is there an opportunity for sports clubs, given that kids love sports, Mm. they want to learn about investing, but don't necessarily know how. And yet now they're being able to monetize that engagement through investing into NFTs, things like that. Is there is there a place for sports teams to find a way to educate people on things like financial literacy through some of these new mediums that we're seeing? I hadn't even thought about it in the context of Angel City FC. I like the idea The my initial reaction is like alt all day long has an opportunity to do this because you have an asset class that's like very hot right now. That's very easy to understand. That's pretty, I mean, that's tactile. So you can at least like, you could literally be bringing these things into classrooms and, and they're at price differences that, I mean, you could get started with 50 bucks buying cards. Like it's not, there, there is a making a significant investment is not a high barrier to entry and actually start learning about how markets move supply and demand. Like, basic principles through a lens that's actually really interesting. And if you got, okay, you could get really interesting with it because then you're also talking about an asset class that's affected by pretty standardized numbers, which are the like reported statistics, right? So then you could start really teaching children, okay, let's do some basic statistics. Let's start to understand like how correlated or maybe how causal are, you know, is performance on the field versus off. Choose a couple players over last year's season to track here's here's like this pretty good pricing data now equipping your exercising muscles that will help serve serve them for the rest of their lives in really fundamental things like whether we want to i would never say that money is like it is not the um the path or the the sort of salve for happiness or for any of this stuff it's not the ultimate answer but it is absolutely fundamental in modern society to understand and no matter what you want to do, no matter how philanthropic, no matter how selfless, you have to understand money. You have to. And in fact, the better you understand it, the more you get to do the stuff you absolutely love. And, and those things are very well related. And like the sooner we can get kids learning it. So I would, there, there's some big hiring news uh, from Alt that I can't disclose on this because we were interviewing candidates. We got some amazing folks on board. There, we're going to have an announcement soon that's going to, I think, really level up on the sort of brand and storytelling and marketing side of alt. And, and I, I think this should be a part of it because this isn't the first time you brought it up. And I think you're totally right. It's a, it's a great opportunity to, to engage with kids. And it's not only, is it a great way to engage people, but what, what it gets at is passions, right? So like yeah. people learn things better when they actually care about what they're 100. learning. Yeah. hundred percent. Gosh, did we cover everything? We did. We absolutely Look at did. us. Look at us. Keeping us on task. Well done, Michael. Well done. Well done. 